Welcome back to the Jim Leach Show. First Thursday of the month, and we always appreciate the opportunity to sit down and have an extended conversation with the mayor of the city of Springfield, our monthly Talk to the Mayor segment with Mayor Jim Langfelder. Welcome back, Mayor. Great to see you. Well, thank you. Good to see you. It's always exciting. Sometimes more fun than others. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see if this falls into the more fun category today. Well, we, we do have, though, uh, something really to, to celebrate, a, a big victory, in as much as the deal finally came together on the Enos Park TIF. Now, um, you know, the good news is it's done. The Enos Park TIF is extended. That seems like a win for everybody. But it does raise the question, why did it take? so long. Why did this go down to the 11th hour? Joe Alio, the Capital Township Supervisor, said he just wanted to see a little more transparency, accountability. You guys worked out a deal, but but couldn't this have been done months ago? Why did it play out this way? Well, uh, yeah, the, you always wished it happened sooner rather than later, but uh, I told someone I didn't care if it happened at the beginning of the veto session or after or at the tail end as long as it happened. And same with this. Uh, but I always thought it could have happened a lot sooner. Uh, but, you know, at least we got it done and we appreciate it, especially um, wasn't too much to give up if you're looking at the negotiation process. Well, had he raised these concerns earlier about wanting to have a seat on the Economic Development Commission? Had, was, was that something that he put on the table? And why, why didn't you accept it? Six well, months ago. Well, actually, May of uh, 2021, Alderman Proctor, then the Alderman Ward 5, offered that to them as a compromise. You know, we would expand the Economic Development Commission. That's our oversight body that I put in place in 2015. And that does include the school district. You know, so it did have that model of having taxing bodies on there. Alderwoman Purchase was a Capital Township trustee at the time. She sat on that. So we did have that representation. So uh, that was offered back in 20, May 2021. But uh, at that point in time, they didn't want to go forward with it. And so uh, we're just glad at the, this fine hour that we got it done. That's the main thing is government did figure out a way to get it done. We got it done, and it'll be for the benefit of not only Enius Park, but also the medical community in downtown and Springfield. It, it has long-term ramifications, too, for TIF districts in general. And uh, the kind of celebratory event that was uh, held a, a couple of days ago on this, there was reference made to what, what could be the next big TIF extension and expansion for the SHA Madison Park Place TIF uh, that could also be extended to the Pillsbury Mills site. So what does, uh, what does this mean for the that and what impact would extending and expanding that TIF have on that area of Springfield? Well, actually, the expansion's happening. That's going to happen regardless because we're going through that process right now and taking in the neighborhood. It will go all the way from the old John Hay Homes Madison Park Place to North Grand and it'll envelop Pillsbury and that whole neighborhood. So the city's expanding that now, but we were intending to go in the spring session and ask for extension. So we will be circling back around to the taxing bodies. So it it does seem like uh, we've, uh, you know, worked out hopefully every all the issues, and we'll be able to get the letters of support from the remaining ones on that one. I think it's the county, capital township, and sanitary district. I think we have the other letters already in place. What's that going to mean, particularly in terms of Pillsbury, this blight, this eyesore, and people are, are begging for action on this? Can that TIF district make a meaningful difference in fixing that problem? Well, what we want to do is uh, use 
part of the funds. The next step in Pillsbury would be doing an environmental two impact study. And what that would do is do a more in-depth study of the environment mitigations that would have to take place. And that'll give you a better idea what it would take to, um, you know, clean up the property. And so that's the next step. We could use TIF funds to help pay for that cost, which uh, I've heard it could be anywhere north of $200,000. So we will... Uh, pledge part of that, or we could be in a position to take care of all of it. The Springfield Sangman Growth Alliance uh, said that they would pay for half, and then, uh, of course, we'd offer the other half. So, uh, that'll give us uh, the capacity to do that. But with regards to the rest of it, uh, the Pillsbury site in itself, we'd apply for federal grants, state grants, and local resources to make something happen. But, of course, TIF could be one of that. But our pledge is more towards the residential properties there. How do we fix those up to start rebuilding that area instead of uh, the continual demolition that happens throughout the east side and uh, this particular area? Any idea how much uh, money is, is generated in, in the increment in that TIF district annually? How, how much could you have at your disposal to deal with some of those problems? Yeah, I think that uh, I'd have to verify, but I think it's approximately uh, 500000 a year, somewhere around there. And so, uh, But we can verify that number. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, over the course of the 12 years would be like $6, six million, something similar uh, to what's generated out of the Enos Park area. Uh, one of the things that Joe Alio brought up during all of the discussion on Enos Park is... I take is, that back. It's, I think it's a little bit less than that. A little, a little it below be, but We'll verify it and okay. uh, get that to you. Uh, one of the things that Joe Alio brought up in this whole process is that some of these TIFs are, are really underperforming, that they are not uh, generating the kind of return on investment that you might want to see from a TIF. Um, is that your sense? of it as well? And and how do we fix that? Or do we need to maybe cut bait on some of these? Well, the, uh, the that's one argument. The other argument I heard was with the YMCA, since it was a non-taxing body, uh, if you're looking at the property tax value, uh, that's kind of... Uh, easing up Enos Park, but the bottom line is that uh, $30 million development that the city partnered with the uh, Memorial Health on, as well as you know the YMCA, that will spur economic development, uh, I think, in the millions as we move forward. You know, it started pre-pandemic, going through the pandemic, uh, nobody would have thought this is uh, what was definitely needed for that area. So, that will be a shot in the arm, even though it doesn't generate the tax dollars, it will create that tax increment from the quality of life standpoint. What downtown TIF, you know, we have the uh, church chamber readaptive use of that property, the Bicentennial Plaza with the real estate, or uh, Illinois Realtors. Uh, we did that project. So, uh, those projects will be anchors to really transform the areas, and time will tell with the, you know, the increment going up. But has downtown had its struggles? Yes. Would have been worse without the TIF? Most definitely. So, uh, same with the YMCA. You're going to be better off with the YMCA there anchoring downtown in Enos Park than not being there. So, from that aspect, the TIF definitely is a plus. Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder is here with us. Let's uh, move to Dirty South. The deal has uh, finally come together to uh, let them reopen. They're scheduled to do that Friday night. Uh, This was a a process marked by a bit of frustration on the part of the owners and their attorney because they felt like the city kept adding last-minute conditions to to make this all happen there. Uh, Number one, can can you respond to that? Because it's couple of times they went in for a hearing and said we got handed something at the last minute that kind of changed what we thought the agreement was what what happened there why did it play out like that well, I'm not sure what the discussions are with the attorneys. Uh, I'm sure there's conversations going back and forth. And, of course, uh, they have to uh, see what, uh, you know, 
myself as liquor commission or as the board liquor commission would be uh, comfortable with. But the bottom line is we're trying to make it, uh, you know, uh, parity with the wet bar. They went through a similar process. You want the mitigation in place and then give them the opportunity to go back to 3M. So that's what we asked for. I think originally the owners were pushing for fencing on uh, part of the property line and then be allowed to open at 3AM. Well, the worst thing you could do is do partial mitigation, then reopen, and then something drastic happens. And now you're in the situation where you're going to pull their license. We don't want to put them in a position of failure. We want to put them in a better position for success. And the best way to do that is allow them to open up at one, and then once their mitigations are put in place uh, within a certain time period, then they would uh, be allowed to open back up at 3 a.m., but they are on that six-month probationary period uh, to make sure that hopefully beyond that point in time, they'll uh, create a safe environment for everybody that wants to participate over there and the social activities are uh, it's done so properly so you weren't directly involved in that as far as dictating last minute changes to this agreement before it came together i think i made my uh, thoughts clear that you know we did i was asked uh, would you be okay giving them the 3m i said uh, no we want to make sure the mitigations are in place before we uh, move forward with the 3am one of the things that the owners and their attorney have said several times now is we need help from the police we're a victim in this because these are just like the pop up parties we saw over at Comer Cox Park or by the Quick and Easy over on North Grand. They said that the shooting that happened in September was somebody who hadn't even been in the bar, just somebody who showed up as part of this crowd that gathered outside. What can and what should police be doing more to help Dirty South and and any other business that may find themselves swept up in these uh, pop-up street parties? Well, Chief Winslow can answer the particulars with regards to uh, what's allowed on and off or off duty, I should say. But regardless, we do not want to put our officers in harm's way in either situation. Uh, but with regards to, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're uh, saying that we have pop-up parties on our parking lot. Well, they're responsible for their parking lot. So I think the fencing around that we've asked for will help mitigate that. And then you put up no trespassing signs. It's only for patrons. So if they have people that are out there at that point in time uh, that are, you know, trespassing, then you can turn them in and the police will respond. But as far as the off-duty process, uh, it'd be best to ask Chief Winslow, but it's my understanding that uh, it's handled the same way across the board. As far as uh, off-duty officers providing security uh, at any establishment? Yeah, they're they're not going to, like I said, they're not going to put our officers in a bad position where, you know, you've seen it play across America where you have law enforcement in a difficult situation trying to keep the public safe, and then you have gunfire disrupt, uh, especially in a, uh, uh, you know, in in an establishment that might not be safe at that point in time. We're trying to get to that point, but uh, Chief Winslow can talk specifically about the parameters associated with the off-duty policing. We're back on the Jim Lee Show here on WMAY. It's our monthly Talk to the Mayor segment with Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder. Mayor, this week the City Council moved to speed up the process for either getting abandoned properties rehabbed or get them knocked down so that something else can go in their place there. Uh, This would take the time frame down from a maximum of three years to in most cases one year. There is some latitude uh, on that with city officials to assess whether sufficient progress is being made on a property there. Is this going to make a meaningful difference in this problem, and how do you see this playing out? Well, I believe it will uh, most definitely when you 
anytime you move the time frame up for uh, responsiveness, proactiveness, uh, that will help in any degree. But what we will start doing is, uh, one is, see what it goes from a one-year uh, and keep track of any extensions made to the two-year and track those to see, you know, if we were giving individuals more time, did that help mitigate the fact or did, did it just prolong the issue? And so, that we'll keep track of that through Corporation Council and the administrative court process moving that direction. You made a reference to uh, trying to make more use of technology mm-hmm. to really uh, be better able to determine what, uh, what properties really are a problem, really are blighted, really need to to have these uh, more serious steps taken there. What, what did you mean by that? How would that work? Well, with our online mapping system, uh, we have a uh, GIS system uh, through CityWorks, and that's through Public Works. So it'd be uh, real-time. That's where we're trying to get to is real-time uh, items where uh, a call or a complaint comes in through Public Works, and they have the work order. It integrates it into the online work process or the platform that they use. And then, uh, you know, if CWLP has to work on that for some work order or some other department, it's all tracked within that. CityWorks system. Uh, but that, of course, would have uh, enveloped the registration process right now in the administrative court and see uh, keep track of things as they move along that timeline. Uh, it, and it sounds great, but is is the current system really not working? I mean, can't the city departments communicate with each other to say, this is an issue that's got to be dealt with? Well, you know, the city's come a long way, but, you know, it used to be a paper process. And then we've, uh, you know, we're going from Excel spreadsheets to more data platforms and that's where we're taking that next step, that next level of integration on uh, the electronic means or technology and data platforms. Within the last uh, couple of weeks, you have laid out uh, your proposal for how to spend the $30-plus million in American Rescue Plan Act funds that uh, have either come to the city or will over the course of the next year. Alderman held a special meeting this week to weigh in on that as well. And one of the things we we keep hearing from Alderman is we want to make sure that these funds are distributed uh, equitably across all the wards and every ward has their own needs and things. Uh, does your plan do enough to to both meet that um, uh, that goal of, of equity in all of that, but to also really make uh, significant progress in things like our storm sewer system and, and some of the other needs you want to address? Uh, without a doubt, I think it pointed out a couple of things. One is every um knows there's sewer issues everywhere, and uh, they could end it right there. But when you dove into it, you know, we need to reduce gun violence. You need to have economic development activities through uh, workforce development or housing initiatives, uh, keeping safe our water and moving that direction. So, uh, there's a lot of need out there. How best do we maximize these dollars? And I always find it interesting, if you read the American Rescue Plan, when they talk about equity, they talk about equity in the impacted areas that have seen disinvestment. And so, that's totally different from let's split it across the board. That's not what it's meant to be. It's meant to make uh, uh, really a uh, systemic change and a uh, how do you come out of the pandemic in a stronger community all all around, especially in your inner core. So, we will take a look at the sewer issues, uh, take a look at uh, making sure we're protecting our water, our only water resource as much as possible, and then also look at the other initiatives with, uh, you know, first responders and uh, the housing and economic development. It sounds like you're saying that not every ward should expect to get as much as every other ward. That some areas of town have been harder hit, and they're going to get a bigger slice of the pie. Is that accurate? 
that's uh, pretty accurate. But what we all are looking at is how do we leverage those funds, and that's what we're trying to do. And I'll give you an example. And this this bodes with any ward, so it could put one ward at an advantage, even if it's uh, say on the west side. And that's through our loan pool funds. We established a two million dollar loan pool fund with Justine Peterson, and that's geared towards uh, small businesses, and they could locate anywhere. But it is uh, geared to meet that uh, where you're providing uh, workforce development uh, and moving in that direction for individuals or entities that would not qualify for bank financing, traditional bank financing. But we do have the local banks participating. That's where we got the $2 million loan pool. So we were actually able to maximize that $300,000 sixfold. And so that's what we're trying to do is how can we do other things, maybe through a low-interest EPA loan or bond or something of that nature, to really spread the costs. But when you talk about putting sewers around the lake uh, or a sewer plan and then start that sewer process around the lake, that benefits everybody, even though it's in Ward 1. So uh, it will impact um, all areas of our community, but those most impacted in the uh, inner city. We continue on now, the Jim Leach Show here on WMAY. First Thursday of each month, Mayor Jim Langfelder sits down for an extended chat with us. Mayor, uh, since the last time we had this session, uh, we've had a lot of discussion here in Springfield and Sangamon County about animal control. And uh, one or two of the aldermen have even suggested it might be time for the city to think about uh, returning to handling its own animal control services rather than relying on a county operation that they say is not doing a good job and, in fact, maybe putting animals in danger. Now, there's a, a lot of investigation still going on about what's actually happening at county animal control. Uh, but what are your thoughts on this? Should the city uh, think about uh, taking this part of, of uh, important public service back from the county? Well, I think it's, uh, one, you want to maximize your resources as much as possible. I think uh, we will take a look at, um, you know, are there other viable uh, alternatives. And, you know, if you're asking me to look through the crystal ball, I would uh, say I'd be surprised if there is one. I think you're always better off, uh, you know, again, like I said, maximizing your resources. I think the better uh, step to take would be allowing, just like we did with our Economic Community Development Commission, allow two city council members to sit on the public health board uh, because that oversees animal control. It gives us a greater voice. And no offense to any of the public health board members, they don't get the calls like the council members do. And they can bring issues to the forefront faster, and hopefully you don't get in the situation that they're experiencing right now with animal control. But uh, so far, the county's been reluctant to do that. Maybe the change with the uh, TIF, you know, us, you know, showing how you can do it, and we've been doing it. We've practiced it. Uh, they just need to... Um, do that. But in the meantime, we so, will take so a look at it. you're saying the county's going to see your benevolence on the TIF issue and say, <laughs> we were wrong all along. Come on and sit on our board, Alderman. Is, is that well, what you think might actually happen? Well, actually, what should happen is what was in place prior to me becoming mayor and after I took office was we had two aldermen sitting on that, two city council members on that. And then uh, Alderman Tyler went to the Park District, and that's when I tried to uh, appoint uh Alderwoman DeCenso, and they wouldn't accept it. And then, uh, you know, when Alderwoman Turner went off, we tried to uh, go and appoint Williams and Hanauer, and still that 
met with resistance. And so I think they really, if everybody talks about transparency, accountability, uh, you know, let's practice what we preach. That's all I'm saying. I think, you know, the ones that have their ear to the ground or people feel more comfortable in calling is always the city council. City council is always under the microscope. Other forms of government are not to that level. And I think that'd be a better service for the residents of Springfield. But beyond that, we will take a look at, you know, is there... Uh, working with the Animal Protective League and other organizations to see how we can all work together to provide the best service to our, you know, pet friends. If the county doesn't uh, mm-hmm. suddenly have a change of heart and, and realize that you were right all along on this, uh, do, it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's a matter of doing what's right. But if they don't change what they've been doing and denying a spot on the Board of Health to uh, any uh, of the city's aldermen, uh, do you then have to think more seriously about uh, stepping in and pulling some of that back from the county? You're sending them $300,000 a year, and according to Alderwoman DeCenzo, city residents uh, spend nearly another six or 700000 in fines and fees related to animal control. That's close to a million dollars a year. So, do Well, you- that's what we'd have to take a deep dive into. And seeing, again, you have to have that willing partner to do it. Uh, if we think that we can bring it in-house and the city can operate it more efficiently, uh, we'd really have to run those numbers because, you know, uh, we have union contracts, things of that nature, and, um, you know, you have to address that. But really, the focus should be, how do you um, actually provide the best service possible? And I think we can get there in a more efficient manner than it's currently being enacted. We uh, now have the uh, overflow shelter open being operated by the Salvation Army in that city-owned facility there at 11th and Jefferson, and the tent city that had been sitting there mm-hmm. has now come down. Uh, and so we're going to get through another winter like this, but we are continuing to await uh, a more comprehensive long-range strategy, which we now understand may be rolled out by the Heartland Continuum of Care mm-hmm. next May. Uh, I, I know they haven't rolled this out yet, but you've got to put together a city budget here in the next couple of months. What are you expecting the city might be asked to do uh, as part of any kind of meaningful restructuring of our approach to homelessness? Well, our focus has always been um, how do we um, address the people on the streets? I mean, that's the hardest to house, and that's where our focus has to be. And then uh, agencies have, you know, carried that forward, which we appreciate the continuum of care, moving that direction and helping hands uh, with a supportive housing uh, process. And they've actually lowered uh, their um, entry point with regards to before they didn't have it. So they will take people in at a uh, more tolerant level. Uh, With regards to that, we want to go beyond, this will be a year-round facility, the overflow, and truly operate as an overflow where we didn't have it before because helping hands, like I said, is low barrier to a degree. And then how do you maximize what beds are available? The overflow goes to this facility. But beyond that point, what are the supportive services we can offer to move them into a better housing position? And then day service centers are having a day center uh, during the summertime. And uh, so we don't have to revisit a tent city. That's the whole goal is to how do we uh, really get people in supportive housing as best as possible as we move forward. But that plan that you're referring to will be a key component with our budget. We have $2 million of HUD ARPA funds. That's aside from the $34 million coming from the Treasury Department that will be uh, utilized in this fashion to you know, implement the uh, plan of action as we move forward working with the continuum of care. Uh, during the discussion this week on the shelter and homelessness, it was brought up that the uh, city has had a, a homeless outreach officer, Chris Jones, who has you know, worked uh, very closely with this population, but that he may in fact 
be reassigned. Uh, and some people are, are pretty concerned about that. They say he's done a great job. They want to keep him in that position. Uh, what's your understanding of where that stands? Is he, in fact, going to be reassigned and why? Well, it's uh, he operates like a neighborhood police officer. They it's a you know through the contract. That's how these are. They're under the union contract. But uh, I think we all understand. I think the rank and file, the police department understands that uh, they're tasks nowadays are changing. And so what we need to do is have as many officers as possible trained in crisis intervention. So it shouldn't just be one person. There should be multiple people uh, with that expertise. But with regards to how it works is it's a bid process. So uh, if nobody bids, then I think he's automatically selected. But, um, you know, that's where that comes in. Uh, with regards to that. So moving forward, though, we need as many uh, officers trained in that capacity as possible, and that's the direction we're moving towards. And then the other side of it is uh, we have Sergeant Dawson oversees Officer Jones, but the uh, focus has to be in a more holistic approach where more hands on deck, not less hands on deck. So, in effect, if another officer says, well, I'd like to be the homeless outreach mm-hmm. officer, they can kind of go through that bid process, as you put it. Is there, you may not know the answer to this, but any particular training or certification that somebody has to have to fill that role? There would be, uh, you know, transitioning training uh, that would happen. And again, uh, Officer Jones, he didn't start off that way. We trained the uh, trained him to become the officer that he is, which everybody appreciates on the homeless outreach. But again, uh, the other aspect that we have uh, put out there is we do have a homeless outreach specialist, and that's more a civilian rank uh, with regards to a mental health specialist and individuals that would work in tandem with the homeless outreach officer, but it can't be. We're trying to broaden that to more than one officer, but make it uh, where more officers would be engaged because homelessness, you know, you drive around the city, you see panhandlers. I'm not sure if they're all homeless, but you see them all throughout the city, and we need to make that daily contact with those individuals and get them off the streets in a better situation. Speaking of that, panhandling ordinance, any progress on that? <laughs> Did, was that one of your questions? I'd leave it to you. <laughs> I actually didn't have it on the list for today, but you, you said the magic word. Yeah, so. That's right. Um, uh, Corporation Council's looking at that. I know they are coming up with some signage about panhandling, but as far as the ACLU complaint, I would have to circle back with uh, Corporation Council. The ordinance that did not come forward, uh, the ordinances that we brought forward was dealing with the cannabis facility, uh, not being able to panhandle within a certain amount of uh, distance. Uh, The one I wanted was more of a safety protocol with regards to the intersections. And I think that's the one that will be able to come forward. And it's across the board. It doesn't matter if you're panhandling or washing cars or soliciting for that. Uh, It would be across the board. So I think that was the one that we need to go towards and it would stand up uh, to the court of law. But no idea when that one's going to be actually brought forward? Uh, Not yet. I think we need to take care of the other ones first and then move on. Let's talk about economic development. Uh, you uh, just had a, uh, a city staffer leave uh, the city and leave your economic development uh, office to go work for the Springfield Sangamon Growth mm-hmm. Alliance. Uh, you haven't had a director for months and basically said you're the, the top economic development person there. Uh, is that how things are going to remain for the, the rest of this current term in office? You're just going to leave it status quo like that? No, we uh... Well, it depends if someone takes that seat, right? Uh, I did have a uh, individual I had in mind. Unfortunately, that didn't pan out. Uh, they had a uh, different change of life, different uh, change of direction. But there is somebody that I'm interested in. I haven't approached them yet. Uh, but hopefully, if all 
systems go, I'd hope to have someone before the end of the year. All right. So you are, in fact, actively looking for an economic development director. Right. But uh, before that happened, I wanted to make sure that we were moving in a direction. One, we were filling the positions uh, that we currently had vacant and then moving the direction I'd like to see with regards to more outreach and, uh, you know, cross uh, training uh, where you're you're just not lined up in a siloed approach where you do have cross training where individuals would work together, uh, whether it's a housing initiative or a business initiative and doing that proactive approach. You're going to have Mike Murphy, state lawmaker, now (laughs) taking over the uh, Greater Springfield Chamber of Commerce. What do you think that means in terms of uh, business climate and economic development in the city? I think it's a great step forward for the chamber. Chris Hembro did an awesome job when he was there. And when he was in his tenure, you know, they had the Q5, and then you had that split off into the Springfield Sangamon Growth Alliance. And so he is transitioning to the new chamber and uh, the networking, the advocacy. So, um, Mike Murphy will take that to a new level because he used to be a sole proprietor. He, he understands being a an owner, especially in the hospitality world, uh, owning Charlie Parker's restaurant. And so from that standpoint, he knows what it takes, especially in the challenges we're facing today with small businesses, which are the backbone of any community, uh, what their needs are. And then being a state legislature, he can supply that advocacy on those connections with the state. So he can operate on multiple levels. I think that will really raise the chamber uh, to a new level to help support the small businesses and the others in our community. Also, at the council meeting this week, there was a presentation on the latest downtown parking study that shows we still have 26,000-some-odd parking spaces downtown, plenty of places to park, even though people don't always think of it like that. But it also reminds us, again, we have had free metered parking in downtown Springfield for over a year and a half now, and we got the reminder from your office uh, in the last few days that's going to extend through the end of this year. Uh, Any idea yet? Will you go back to paid metered parking in January or or ever, or are you thinking about never? Well, we would uh, really the parking meters. What they're for is to move traffic. That's the whole purpose of the, for the retailers. But you said repeatedly you're you're still watching people, and if they're there more than two hours, oh, yeah, you're, you're going to ticket them. So right. right. So uh, what we. Uh, we have several options on the table. One is uh, the meters themselves are wearing out, and so you have to make a decision one way or the other. Uh, one is, you know, more towards uh, using an app um, where people could, you know, just scan a sticker on the meters and doing it that approach. The other one is switching out the meter head. The value of that is more convenience, you know, where you could use your credit card, coin, or whatever the case may be, and then um, get those reminders if you're uh, using your credit card. Uh, the other aspect of that, switching out the meter heads, you could actually have a GPS monitoring so people actually could hopefully uh, take care of that perception there's no parking where people could identify within a block what's in that block available spaces. Uh, so that's the benefit of it. What we will do is have public works. We're going to have a meeting with downtown Springfield re- retailers and uh, get their opinion of it because they're the ones greatestly impacted by the parking situation. On the other side of the coin are the surface lot owners that are filling the pinch because the state workers are no longer there or others that might have rented space from them now are parking on the streets. And so they're filling that impact. And so it is a balancing act of how we move forward in the future uh, with regards to that metered situation or how do you address the parking. Yeah, but if you're a worker down there, you still don't want to have a, a, a formerly metered space, even if it's free, because you could still get a ticket after two hours, which you don't if, you, if you're paying for a surface lot space. So is it still a possibility that you might just do away with paid metered parking downtown? Is that 
something that's on the table. You will always have that ticket aspect because, uh, and the, the, with workers down when I was treasurer, they are pretty savvy. They know you can go so much of a distance, so they'll play the musical parking. Uh, chairs, and then uh, just move their car and just continue to park that way. And really, the you know, if parking... they're that industrious, more power to them. <laughs> but, 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 you know, yeah, honestly, I would for... say at this time, uh, everything's on the table because what we want is a more walkable, enjoyable downtown. But again, uh, the bread and butter for our downtown to make it viable are the retailers. All right, just a few minutes left for Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder. And Mayor, this is a Kind of a weird one to uh, to ask you about, but I, I know you're aware of this. I'm going to go ahead and just jump into it. There apparently were flyers being distributed to uh, to some homes in the area over uh, over Halloween weekend, uh, and without going too deeply into it, it suggests that you may have uh, helped a, uh, a marijuana dispensary cut some corners with some uh, renovations that they were uh, making there. Any interest in responding to to that? Since apparently got distributed to a lot of households. Right. Actually, uh, that started uh, a month or so ago. Oh, that long. And, right, right. And actually, they dropped them in uh, my neighborhood and my ward. And uh, a poll came after that. So, uh, fortunately, like a, fo- a phone poll? Phone poll. Okay. Fortunately, it weighed more in my um, uh, favor. But with regards to. How, how the, do you know that? How do you know that the poll worked out for you? you so, well, because uh, it was reported in the media. Oh, okay. As I, far did, as I, I, didn't, I didn't see yeah. that, uh, that report. Yeah. So. But uh, with regards to that, um, you know, with the emergency declaration or executive order, I think was on there, uh, with the dispensary. I get a. I I don't even move on those unless we get a request from an alderman. So we did get a request from an alderman through Corporation Council, and it came forward with regards to that. And then, um, uh, so what the executive order does, it allows a business to move forward with a project. And in this case, they want to meet the timeline for the permitting associated with the state uh, requirement on the uh, allowing the permit for the cannabis uh, facility out west. And uh, so, with regards to that. Um, they move forward at their own expense. So if they don't get the zoning or something happens, they're out their money. So that's where it went. And it went south because uh, unions weren't being used in that particular instance. So I got a call saying, you got to stop it. You got to stop it. So we did stop it since uh, they weren't. Uh, and that's, I think it mentioned public works or something. So it was stopped from that aspect per my direction. And then, uh, but now it's open, right? And uh, now you have a adaptive reuse of a theater uh, and moving forward in that direction. But uh, I think it was a uh, more political, you know, some people say it was a hit piece. So do you know who was, who was behind it? Uh, well, that I'm glad you brought that up. In Ward 1, people were sending me pictures of people that were delivering it. And they look familiar with, uh, you know, someone associated with the union. And then with the most recent one, the trick-or-treat one that went out, they mailed it. So I think they got wise, at least from that aspect, and uh, started mailing them instead of doing the drop. But this is apparently done on behalf of a, a potential challenger in 2023? Uh, well, I think they drop it and then see, uh, does it have an impact? And you know, Can, it is... can you say who your uh, potential challenger <laughs> is? That, uh... Well, it, it probably changes day to day. But on that, for myself, I always focus on getting the work done. That's what it's about. You know, renewing the Enos Park TIF was huge. How do we start getting projects done? Uh, you know, you don't let things weigh you down from previous. How do we move forward towards the future? 